0: Out of and now the untold hour presents of Mary murdered mistress month <laughs>
1: And welcome to The The Untold
0: Hour. hour. I want to
1: promote my other show really quick, if you don't mind. Yeah, do it.
0: (laughs) I was going to ask you about the other show.
1: So the other show, in case you don't know and you're new to this um, podcast, is uh, Expedition X on the Discovery Channel. It just occurred to me after already four episodes that we have that show run and go live on the same day that we do the podcast. So the podcast technically goes up first, and then the show happens on Discovery later in the day. So I'm just going to tell y'all, hey, got a new episode of Expedition X happening tomorrow, Wednesday, um, usually around 9 p.m. Eastern standard time or eastern time but just make sure and check your local listings because i'm never good about that um so make sure you check what you've got on your end but this one coming up is going to be all about the jersey devil
0: oh hell yeah love me some jersey d that's
1: why i also wanted to bring it up because i knew you'd like that jd
0: i love that jd i love me some jersey d Mm -hmm. um that's tight
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sorry
0: you had to spend so much time in Jersey. Yeah, well, I'm just kidding. I've never had a problem with Jersey. I know people troll Jersey, but it's
1: pretty rough. I've had some good
0: experiences in Jersey.
1: I will say this. The area we were at, which for the Jersey Devil story was in the Pine Barrens. Yeah, um, the Pine Barrens were beautiful. And we ended up meeting up with two historians, which who were phenomenal. Cool. Um super nice older gentleman, like really well informed, really knew the history of the area, how it connected to the Jersey Devil, what the you know, all of that. Because for me, I also we've talked about this before. I also really like the history behind everything. Yeah. Not just the like pomp and circumstance of it. So um that was really cool. And uh, and that was, was a really fun one to do. Jersey itself where we were staying uh, outside of the Pine Barrens for part of the show uh, was a little tough. <laughs> yeah. Just because there wasn't a whole bunch of stuff around and everything that we had access to was also restricted due to you know COVID restrictions right. as well. So we were really kind of at an impasse for basic necessities that we needed when we were not on camera. Um, yeah. And access to that, but the actual Pine Barrens jersey, the folks there themselves, it was a really, it was a good, bla- it was fun, it was a fun time. It's awesome. Yeah, it was cool.
0: Can I promote my show, my other show too?
1: Absolutely.
0: So what if my I was like, no, <laughs> that'd be great, and we'd leave it in the episode. <laughs> just you like, just no. shutting me down. My other show is a horror film chat show with filmmakers. And it goes up on Thursdays. It's just a podcast, and uh, it's called Alter Weekly. And this week, we're talking with the filmmaker Gigi Saul Guerrero, who directed a film for Hulu and Blumhouse called Culture Shock, Mm -hmm. and then also directed a short for Crypt TV called The Mistress of Bones. And we talked to her about those films, and she also has another film with Blumhouse coming up we talked to her about that
1: very nice yeah so keep your ears peeled for that one
0: Yeah. peel them peel peel them back peel those
1: ears back um you know since we're on the promotion tip i want to promote one final thing before we head into weird yes we're selling socks that is our huh (laughs) <laughs> selling socks? i just no. love
0: it if it was something that i didn't even know about you're like yeah i'm selling socks oh okay <laughs> no, sure. but i do
1: have i do have a little side hustle project i might be thinking up for myself which is uh, a whole separate ball of wax literally <laughs> well, what
0: were you gonna say
1: um i was gonna say i wanted to promote our own show this month we have kicked off Mary murdered mistresses. And I did a jack shit job of promoting it last week. In fact, I don't think I promoted (laughs) it at all. Um, I ended up getting sidelined with a bunch of other stuff. And then by the time I realized I never had posted anything about it, it was like Friday. So I was like, well,
0: I need to make us a little graphic for Mary murdered mistresses month. I, I should have done that.
1: Well, I could have done it too. It's both our faults.
0: Yeah, I'll throw Aristotle the
1: in there as well. <laughs> I'm just i
0: Honestly, I think it's mostly Aristotle's fault. I think it's
1: mostly Aristotle. But really, it's Bowser. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, and by that, I mean it was me. I completely dropped the ball. Um, Aristotle actually did send me a video, but I was like, oh, I don't like the way I look in the video, so I didn't post it. So oh, my 100% gosh. 100% my fault. But for those listening to this show, not only do we have an excellent Murdered Mistress for you this episode, but the previous one to this, Mary, yeah. Mary Murdered Mistresses, is also just as good. Bowser found out all about her. Do you want to recap it super, super fast Yeah, for, for those that, didn't, that might want to listen?
0: For those that didn't listen last week, you should go back and give it a listen because it's about a mistress to Frank Lloyd Wright, uh, whose name was Martha Borthwick, that was actually killed by an axe murderer. Yep. So yeah, it is a horrific story, but it's very interesting. I knew nothing about it, and uh, give it a listen. It's a good launch to Married Murder Mistresses Month. Yeah, I wanted <laughs> to ask you. Hmm. Uh, well, as we do this research, one thing I meant to bring up last week is like, I read different articles, different listicles, and I'm worried that as we each do research, we're going to find about the other person's candidate. So oh. we should be we should be limited. I mean, we got to do research to find the people, but we should try to only do deep dives once we've selected the person. Okay. You know what I mean? Because yeah. like That's I found cool. two others last week that I started reading about because I was like, "Oh, this is also good." But then I then I That's realized the you might have chosen them.
1: These Mary murdered mistresses. These stories are great. Like I did not think that this was going to pay off so as well as it has so far, and I'm I know. really enjoying it uh reporting about it talking about it not really reporting about it but talking about it um okay well then you know in the future you and i'll touch base before we go and spend our entire day a week month uh looking it up but yeah why don't you start off with weird of the week and then i'll take us into uh mary murdered mistresses
0: weird of the So I don't know what we can name this corner, but I feel like it's going to last for a couple of weeks. This monolith news. I mean, there's constant updates on the monolith. Um, Okay,
1: where are we at right now? Because I'll tell you, I actually, after we talked last week, I kind of was over the monolith thing.
0: I know. And I
1: was like, you guys are trying too hard. Whether you be aliens, art installation people, or PR folks, you guys can fuck off now. I'm, I'm done with it. Like, there's... I'm just right. not, I have very low tolerance of late.
0: Well, the so nice thing.
1: Being, ab- oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: Well, the nice thing about this one is it alleviates a little bit of that because there's people named and, and taking responsibility for at least one of the monoliths. So yeah, because I also was getting tired of it being presented like so mysterious when we just know yeah. it's some art thing or some viral marketing thing. Yeah. This alleviates some, a little bit of that.
1: Isn't there some dude that said it so suddenly showed up in his front yard
0: oh well shit i don't even know about that i think
1: that actually happened today so i don't know i could have sworn i saw that popping through the the twitter verse of it all but um, wow yeah so i'm kind of like "Eh." it's it's like it's like oh it's like
0: it's like the fucking Cloverfield marketing campaign that I was over, yeah. like, the second... <laughs>
1: it's like the poor man shitting on your sidewalk while I'm out for a jog. It's like, one person shits, now we all got to shit, and we're all saying yeah. it's everybody else's shit, you know? And then all right. of a sudden, San Francisco decides to get on the mix and start making an app for it to tell you where everybody's shit is, and I'm like, I don't fucking yeah. care. Like, yeah. I don't know, I'm feeling like that's where we
0: are. I know, I, I hate that it's news, but also we're playing into it by making it part of our Weird of the Week.
1: Absolutely. But...
0: So the the news that I was reading about in regard to the monolith is that a group of artists have taken responsibility for the one in California. Um, Wade McKenzie, Jared Riddle, and Travis Kenney erected the one at the top of Pine Mountain. And here's their story. So when the first monolith was found in Utah, uh, one of the artists, Travis, said, well, initially we were just like, oh, that's tight. There's people that are, like, traveling to see that uh, art. Like, they were thinking of it the way we were. Like, it's art, mm-hmm. clearly, and, and now there's people traveling hours to see it. Um, and then after the second one popped up in Romania, they were like, okay, well, there needs to be a third, so why not us? Like, they just thought, why not why not us? Because that's clearly what's happening in these other countries is that a group of artists is doing it, and we're a group of artists. So they said that they built the original out of stainless steel, in just a few hours on Tuesday. It's kind of interesting to see how quickly this can happen. And then What's they carried.
1: Just four slabs of or however many totally. slabs of like flat steel. And then you solder it together.
0: Totally. And carried the 10 foot long piece two miles up the 1300 foot mountain trail. And they're quoted as saying, not to boast, but we motored up that thing. I mean, we're all almost 50 years old. And it proved that we're in pretty good shape to carry a 200 pound. You know Piece up a mountain.
1: I'll give them props for that. As somebody that can't even go up their fucking stairs carrying nothing without heaving. uh, I know. Yeah. yeah. I know. You know what, you guys, even if I'm over your monolith, I'm totally into your physical prowess.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And then a hiker discovered it the next morning. The artist said, we had no idea this would go viral. But that's ridiculous because they did it because they saw the others going viral. So that's a fucking bullshit statement. Knock it out of your mouth. But anyway people were driving hours from LA or San Francisco to see it but here's the thing mm-hmm. then it was taken down people took it down okay and and i think it was this location people took it down and they youtube it they put a video up on youtube of them taking it down and they put a cross in its place and oh, said I've something like Oh i heard
1: about that yeah
0: right it said something a- like Christ is king uh huh. And I'm like, God damn it, dudes! Like, it doesn't always have to. This is uh, this triggers me so much not to use yeah, that term. I'm
1: right there with you. Yeah. But like,
0: God damn it, not everything has to be, <laughs> not everything that's uh, it, is like a fucking offense to Christ or whatever you worship.
1: Or right, here's an idea: Calm it's just down. fucking art. Yeah, it's or it's just art. Arts. It's it's just a, it's just metal sticking straight up in the sand somewhere. Exactly.
0: So the fun thing is though that made the artists mad so they did of another course. one and <laughs> they actually tried at first to get the city to let them put one somewhere officially and the city was like um no, no
1: we're really busy with covid right now could you not
0: <laughs> yeah so then they 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 re-implanted uh a new structure that is basically a lot fucking heavier to move it's got about 500 pounds of concrete it's a whole there's a whole subsection that's all structural steel and it sinks down into the ground by about four feet yeah so then they went back and they put it up and they they posted a video uh where one of them yells you can't bring me down
1: <laughs> yeah i want to make sure that i'm not sh- i want everybody to know i'm not shitting on totally christians or all i'm shitting on
0: the dudes that took down that monolith Absolutely. that's all i'm shitting on Yes. Why is your cross any more important to sit on that mountaintop than that monolith? They didn't take down anything to put up their monolith. Yeah. But you have to take something down to put up your cross. So that's the end of a monolith corner or whatever that is. Yeah. Uh, that turned into hating on um, overzealous Christians. But this has also been huge news. And I mean, it's everywhere. You've probably already read about it. But. The fact that a former Israeli space security chief has said that extraterrestrials exist and that the U.S. very much knows about them.
1: I mean, I actually, A, have not read about that because I've been eyeball deeps on waiting for Cyberpunk 2077 to drop. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, B, I've kind of stopped watching those articles and news statements because how yeah. many more military people need to come to the forefront and say UFOs are real and we've all seen them and everybody knows about it yeah it's the same fucking story totally. just different people over and over again so I'm like cool well you know until they land on the show White us House a craft. lawn, yeah until yeah, you yeah, can yeah. show me a craft or a body great I, totally. I, I'm, I'm thrilled that you came forward I'm not going to make fun of you Um I believe that you saw what you're saying you saw yeah but you're not really bringing at this point anything new to the table. Hello, welcome to 2015.
0: 20? You know, <laughs> oh, I was like, you, no, like it 15, like you were forgetting 16, the year. when
1: when those first yes. started dropping these like rounds of these like articles of military personnel coming forward and saying they have seen yes. stuff. Um, you know, like this has been a while now. Like you got to you got to bring something a little extra if you want to be a part of this, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. Especially because as this stuff has become more and more official, and all of these institutions are forming around the knowledge uh, that UFOs and extraterrestrial life do in fact exist, right? It just makes you hungrier for some some real some real meat to the story. Well, yeah. unfortunately, this is just more of the same. But uh, basically, Haim Ashed, who is a former head of Israel Israel's Defense Ministry Space Directorate, told a newspaper that. Um, there is a galactic federation that earthlings have been in contact with. He said what that is this Mass a- Effect? Yeah. <laughs> he said that aliens are equally as curious about humanity as we are about them, and they're mm-hmm. also curious about the fabric of the universe. He cl- he goes on to say that there is a uh, there's cooperation agreements that have been signed between the species, including an underground base in the depth of mars where there are american astronauts and alien representatives i mean that might be considered new news if that's like yeah
1: yeah that's real new news and i you know as i sit there and say i'm not going to make fun of this guy then i'm like ha, mass effect like this okay so huh yeah i they, i always wish this stuff to be true because that would be super cool but yeah. I just don't know how currently with the way things are and we're struggling to even get a vaccine out there in time for
0: yeah. COVID
1: and all this other stuff. How how we're struggling with basic-ish things like that. But right. m- then there's an intergalactic federation of aliens that we've been talking to that we've been signing peace accords with. Like, how, how do we, where's, where's that leap, you know?
0: Right. And now is definitely not the time to introduce this uh, information into the American populace. Shit, um, man, I
1: don't know. Maybe it couldn't possibly get maybe any more shocking. Is. I think maybe this yeah. is the best time if that's the case.
0: Well, Ashed added that uh, numerous U.S. presidents were aware of the extraterrestrials' existence, and many of them had been at different times on the verge of revealing information, but were always consulted to, not in order to prevent mass hysteria. They've all been waiting uh, for humanity to develop and reach a stage where more of us will understand what space and what spaceships are, uh, re- referring to the Galactic Federation, that they've been waiting for us to kind of get uh, caught up to this idea. But, I mean, we're the only thing that's going to catch us up to the idea is just, again, fucking seeing a spaceship, not... Not yeah. zooming by, not from a couple of witnesses, but fucking land one on the White House lawn, fucking yeah. Mars Attack style, but not what happened but not in that Mars Attack yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and then let us all just fucking soak it in, you know? Yep,
1: I'm with you. At this point, you know, it's been enough diddling. Like, we got to, like, go for it or call it off. <laughs>
0: like, yeah, yeah.
1: Like, no more. And
0: ashed did say that he's more comfortable talking about it now because of all of the news that's been related to these mm-hmm. things and the, to the stars Academy and things like that, that basically, you know, if I had said this five years ago, I'd have been hospitalized, but now it seems like the public has been more receptive because a lot of military officials have been the ones uh, that have been speaking out again, or uh, about this thing. So he says, uh, you know, uh, it's coming soon that basically whatever kind of, galactic federation may or may not exist is going to be at some point strategically talking to the american public about their existence we'll see yeah we i mean we'll see it's
1: cool i hope it i hope his i mean i guess i hope i kind of don't want it to be real but you know because you yeah. knows? aliens i you know you know my hot take on that is i think they're coming to kill us but um i know you know i i just feel at this point like that seems like a big leap in ability for human kind as a general whole like okay yeah. we can't even we can't even get people to vaccinate themselves on a regular basis but we're making peace accords internationally i don't know i yeah. just feel like that's a big jump um and i'm with you at this point we've had a lot of really Good, some bad, some I don't know. Eyewitness reports from some really high-level people that if anybody's going to be in the know, they would be, or at least more so than the average human being. But right. like, okay, let's shit and get or get off the pot. Like, what? Well, where's where is this?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, I'm well, saying? I don't know. Maybe uh, I'm just, I know what you're you know, saying. I think I'm just cranky today. Honestly, I think I'm a cranky day. I'm a well, cranky girl. And that's I, why, Yeah,
0: I mean, I'm a bit cranky too, but that's why I structured Weird of the Week to end on a light note.
1: Yeah, no, I like it. Is that the light note?
0: No, this oh, is the light note. What's
1: the light note?
0: There's a town in Quebec named uh-huh. Asbestos. <laughs> okay. And they've that's- been <laughs> petitioning to get their name changed hey. for a long time, <laughs> and it just makes me laugh because yeah uh I mean why I think they should now? lean into like, it. Sh- yeah. Well the the funny thing is uh the area was once home to a mine that was the the largest chrysotil asbestos mine in the world. Oh. I don't know what chrysotil means, but so um the town got its name when the royal mail simply started calling the town after the mineral. Yeah. So they're named after the natural mineral asbestos. But anyway, um, their, their mayor it's said like, once a...
1: You can what? call us Cancer Town.
0: I know, I know. The mayor <laughs> said, once upon a time, we uh, would have been very proud of that name, but now it's very difficult because asbestos means a fiber that people are afraid of. Every time you say it, especially in the United States... That you are coming from asbestos, or they read asbestos on a package that has been shipped.
1: Oh, the packaging, yes, I didn't think of they, that.
0: They're always afraid that it would be lethal or poisonous. Mm-hmm. So they put it up to a vote for the nearly three thousand town people, and uh, the town is officially changing its name in December. So I wanted to read to you.
1: Oh, well, congratulations what... to them.
0: Totally. I wanted to read to you what the names were, but oh. the problem is their their voting website is all in French. Oh, and yeah. So I I can't even navigate.
1: You can't Google like, translate that, huh?
0: Yeah, it's all listed like but I I can't track it. So I can tell you what they decided on.
1: Okay, let's go with they that. They
0: decided on Val des Sources.
1: Okay, what does that mean?
0: I mean, it kind of just feels like it It stands for, like, Valley of the Source or Valley of Sources. Um, Val. It sounds Sources. like a really
1: awesome video game.
0: Yeah. Title. Valley of the Source. Valley of Sources. Um, that's what they changed it to. I mean, it's a hell of a lot better than Asbestos.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I get that. Yeah. I remember, I don't know if you remember this at all, maybe from your grandparents, Bowser, but do you remember that Christmas decoration called angel hair, which was essentially spun glass with asbestos in it, and you would set it on your table and you were not allowed to touch it. And it was like super thinly stretched glass. I
0: do remember this, yeah.
1: Remember that? I
0: don't know why I'm
1: thinking about that. Well, I'm thinking about that now because it's Christmas time-ish holiday season slash totally. we're talking about asbestos and i miss my grandma
0: it always looked like um kind of spooky because it always looked like cobwebby
1: no oh, i liked it yeah anyway well good well, for see, them. that's weird congratulations the to the start of this new town yeah that is a nice ending for all of our news. None of this news was bad, by the way. I'm just spicy today. No, it's just like the
0: government and aliens and, yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm just spicy, I, you know, I'm just, I'm spicy. It's just, it's a spicy day. Yeah. It is, it's one of those. Ready for some Mary Murdered Mistresses?
0: I am. I'm I'm really uh
1: I am concerned now, based on what you told me, that you might have read this because it was one of the first things to pop up for okay. me when I searched murdered mistresses. Which, by the way, if you Google that, which is probably pretty awkward and puts you on a list somewhere, um, more often than not, you actually get guys or articles about men who told their mistress about other people they were trying to murder, not that they were trying to murder the mistresses themselves.
0: I mean, I definitely found a lot of articles that weren't like famous murders. It was just like guy in Wisconsin kills his mistress. I was like, all right, geez.
1: Lots of Florida man.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure.
1: Well, with that, welcome to the second episode of Mary Murdered Mistresses Month. Bowser, have you read about Victoria Lynn Morgan
0: yet? I have not.
1: Okay, cool. All right, well, that's who we're talking about today. We're talking about Victoria Vicky Lynn Morgan. She was an American fashion model and mistress of Alfred S. Bloomingdale of Bloomingdale Department Store fame, which I got to be honest, I don't ever think that there are real people out there named after... The stores that they know. established, like Bloomingdale's, is just Bloomingdale's. It's like the entity of Bloomingdale's, but I know. there's a family behind it. They are, are they're super loaded, yeah. And uh, and yeah. And so Alfred, one of one of the heirs to the Bloomingdale fortune, had an affair with this woman named Vicki. So I'm kind of going to tackle this. Uh, a very specific way I'm going to go through the basics so I I read a couple articles there's an absolutely excellent one from the Washington or the Washington Post yes I believe it was the Washington Post that did a great job back in 1983 when this all started to wrap up finally um, kind of going over the whole situation the backstory but it differs in significant moments with the basics that you will find on Wikipedia or other news outlets. So I want to go through the basics first so that you have a gist of the timeline and how they met and what was going on. And then I want to talk a little bit about the Washington Post article to give you some more of the details. So we're going to take it in two parts. So if you want to interject with anything, just stop me because I'm just going to run with this. Okay. So Victoria Vicky Lynn Morgan. Vicky's her nickname, Uh, like I said before, was an American fashion model and a mistress of Alfred S. Bloomingdale of Bloomingdale department store fame. Their affair went south when Vicky decided to sue the Bloomingdale estate for palimony. And for those of you that don't know, because I actually didn't know that this was something that you could do. I had heard the word before, but I never really researched the meaning behind it. So palimony is actually the division of assets and property in the termination of a personal live-in relationship when the folks involved are heavily involved with each other, but not legally married. So she basically, Vicky is trying to get her half of the divorce settlement, even though they were never married and there is no divorce. You know A quick I mean?
0: question, just so I know how to what era to visualize. What, what uh-huh. are we talking here? What decade are we talking? So I'm going to
1: give you the start of like Vicky's life. So she, um, so like we're thinking 60s, late okay. 60s, mid to late 60s, all the way through to um, 1983. Okay. Which I would say primarily most of this takes place. Therefore, in like the 70s and 80s. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, so everything went South, uh, basically when, you know, Vicky and Alfred broke up, Vicky hit the skids pretty hard and she was basically trying to get what she felt was her half of the money that she was owed by Alfred after they split after being together for a decent amount of time. So Vicky had a tough life to start off with. Like it was it, it, in general, like, yeah. actually, let me rephrase that. Vicky had a tough life, period. Um, and it was always tough. So she was born in Colorado. Her parents were divorced soon after her birth. Her mother then remarried, but her quote unquote, new dad, uh, died when she was nine years old her and her mom bounced around a little bit. Um, They finally settled down, I believe in California. And then at 16, Vicky ended up getting pregnant, dropped out of high school, gave birth to her son, Todd, left Todd with her mom, and then ran away from her home in 1968. So she ditched Mm -hmm. out. Um, Eventually Vicky makes her way to Hollywood and lands herself an usher's job at Grauman's Chinese Theater. And then shortly after that, she marries Earl Lamb, who's about 47 years old. Keep in mind, Vicky is 16, 16, Mm -hmm. 17-ish, pretty, you know, within that ballpark. She marries Earl at 47. On August of 1969, she's now 17 years old and still married to Earl, Vicky meets Alfred Bloomingdale, who is also married to his wife, Betsy, and they meet while they're at a restaurant, not together but just there uh, and bump into each other, I guess, on the Sunset Strip. Okay. They quickly Man. begin their affair, which consists basically, Vicky, um, we'll get into this a little bit more later, but Vicky, it comes out in the lawsuit later on that Vicky's essentially <laughs> Vicky's essentially there watching while Alfred performs BDSM techniques uh, with multiple sex workers. Like that's oh, their hell. go-to. Which, you know, listen, I, I should have probably prefaced this entire story with we're getting into some really tawdry, uh, tawdry in the sense of back then tawdry stuff. Like when you hear what Alfred is into and like how they have their sex life these days, you just like, you're like, what, whatever, like, it's just yeah. like, whatever, who cares, you know? And also on a personal level, who cares, like do whatever you got to do, you know, as long as right. everybody a consenting adult, uh, and you're not hurting anyone, yeah. then, you know, whatever. Um, so there's a little bit of that 1960s, 70s, 80s judginess going on right. in these articles and the information backstory of her murder and their affair. So I well, put, yeah. I should have put that at the forefront. We'll put it here now. Just know that, you know, we're taking it from a back then perspective, not a well, current perspective.
0: Yeah, real quick, not mm-hmm. to uh, uh, do a sojourn this soon into the story, but that was something I found in reading about um, Martha Borthwick. A lot of what was written about it was from the perspective of evil woman gets her comeuppance for being a temptation to the man. Like yeah. so much of what, how it was written was still steeped in the, in the energy of that time, even to where, and this is too much of a, uh, of a detour, we don't have to get into it, but like, people were saying that, that, that it was,
1: it's very murders, scarlet lettery.
0: Well, very scarlet lettery and that, mm-hmm. and that it was, and and that because Frank Lloyd Wright lived lawlessly, the people in his life met a lawless end, mm-hmm. like that, the sins of the man then got everyone else killed, but he gets to keep on living and fucking building houses and being a billionaire for the rest of his life. Like, the women deserve to be punished, but the men deserve to learn a lesson and move on. Anyway, anyway.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Like, Polanski, like,
0: people say it's Polanski's fault that Sharon Tate was murdered because he messed around with Satanism with Rosemary's baby. Oh, but if, if that was how it all worked out, he didn't deserve to get killed? Yeah. But the woman did. It just, it's a weird set of rules to apply to that dynamic, I think.
1: Absolutely. And and while I don't, I, I do feel that this story differs from the Frank Lloyd Wright story in yeah. the fact that nobody really ends up in a happy place <laughs> at the end of this. You know, it just yeah. kind of, it actually kind of just peters out into kind of a nothing, which is almost even worse for all those involved. Um, yeah,
0: interesting. There
1: are essences of that approach, that kind of sexist approach to this in regards to, you know, how she ended up making her living after they split, um, the BDSM angle, the fact that they were both married and having an affair. And I'm not saying that you, that should justify affairs. Like it shouldn't and it doesn't, but you know, it also doesn't necessarily mean you deserve to be murdered. (laughs)
0: Like totally,
1: you know? So anyway, I just wanted to, I should have probably started with that, but we didn't, but it's here now. So let me pick up for where we left off. So like I said, August 1969, she's 17 years old. She's still married. And Vicky meets Alfred Bloomingdale, who's also married to his wife, Betsy, uh, while while they're both at the same restaurant on Sunset Boulevard. Um, They quickly begin their affair. Um, Vicky really pushes this angle later on while she's trying to sue the Bloomingdales, that she essentially is like their their sexual escapades. What they like to do is that Alfred likes to be dominant in a BDSM kind of role with sex workers while Vicky mm-hmm. watches on. Um, we'll get into a little bit more of that later when we talk about the Wall Street Journal, or I'm sorry, the Washington Post article. Vicky turns 18 years old, and Alfred offers Earl Lamb, Vicky's original husband that she met when she was an usher over at Grauman's Chinese Theater, a large sum of cash as a payout to end his marriage to Vicky. So Mm. he takes it. As far as everything that I saw, it basically said, Earl takes that money, leaves Vicky, Vicky is now like basically a full-time mistress to Alfred yeah. and he sets her up with an apartment. And, you know, reading some of these articles and taking what Vicky says, you know, let's just say she's saying some of the truth, maybe not all of it, but like the truth as it benefits her, it still sounds like the two of them actually had a pretty decent relationship. Yeah. You know, like right. they were, they were. it sounds like they were kind of happy with each other. Um, which, yeah, we can talk about that more maybe at the end of this and decide, like, what you think your take is on it. Yeah. So after um after Vicky's original husband leaves, from that moment on, due to Alfred's wealth and influence and just his lifestyle, Vicky basically lives a socialite's life. Like, she's living large. Like, she doesn't have to worry about anything. And keep. she's still, like, 17, 18 years old. So, mm-hmm. you know, like talk about going from a rough childhood growing up with kind of nothing hitting the road and like just trying to make your way out to LA. And I'm sure, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to do out here, be famous, whatever the case may be. She's landed herself in a pretty, yeah. you know, secure spot, you know, maybe not as secure as she might hope, but bet you like better than what she was struggling with before. Yeah. So their affair continues all the way up until 1973 when Alfred's, okay, so this is where it gets a little confusing. And we'll talk about this with the other article. The Wiki page and some other articles I read mentioned that the affair continued to about 1973. Alfred's wife, Betsy Bloomingdale discovers the affair and then demands that Alfred end it, which yes, that happened in the Washington post article, the timeline's a little wonky. So let's just keep like, put a pin in this. Remember this. We'll come back to this in a minute. Okay. But Betsy did ha- make Alfred call it off. Alfred complies dumps Vicky, And, um, this basically sends her spiraling into depression and poverty. So by 1979, <clears throat> excuse me, by 1979, Vicky has been through multiple failed marriages. Now, um, extended periods of sex work for that she does to help herself stay afloat. Uh, She also becomes a drug addict and then enters rehab. And it's there that she meets Marvin Pancoast, who becomes fascinated with Vicky and her tales of her life of privilege that she had while she was living with Bloomingdale as his mistress. So Vicky and... Pancoast coast hit it off in rehab they become really good friends and they plan on becoming roommates once they're both released from rehab remember that mm-hmm. around roughly around the same time a couple of years around the same time so not too far in the future alfred finds out and is diagnosed with terminal cancer and apparently reaches out to vicky and tells her that he has about two months to live and promises her that he has made arrangements for her after his death so that she will never have to be worried or care about money again.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Vicky is now 30 years old. She is essentially destitute. This all kind of happens roughly within the same timeline. And that's why I think a lot of these timelines, when you read these articles and these, these um, stories, get a little confusing is because it all, all once it starts to fall apart, it starts to fall apart kind of quick and all within like months to a year of each other. Mm-hmm. So at around 30 years old, Vicky's essentially destitute and li- and uh, hires famous Hollywood palimony attorney, Marvin Mitchelson to sue Bloomingdale for $11 million, which would be roughly about 30 million today. Um, as compensation for being Alfred's mistress that whole time, um, it becomes big news. A scandal pre- breaks out via the pretrial media circus that happens with the press uh, with all of their you know sex capades making the news and people getting exposed and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, which brings significant embarrassment over to Alfred. Um, the Bloomingdale family and many of their friends. I'm bringing this up because it sounds like some of the articles are basically prepping the fact that Vicky had no money after Alfred dumped her, but she knew a lot of these rich guys and those were her clients when she was a sex worker. So she was essentially, you know, they're painting her as like a high class call girl. Um, because of that, because of her connections at this point, and the fact that some of her clients are these, you know, big wigs in politics and in, um, you know, in business and all that stuff, some of these articles are trying to, imp- I feel, imply that that is what gets Vicky killed. Yeah, which isn't totally true from what right. I have read.
0: But they're trying to paint the picture that like, well, what did that someone is that?
1: Yeah, that all this stuff's coming out on the news about her and Alfred and Alfred being into BDSM. It's so embarrassing to him and his family mm-hmm. and to the point where people are like, you know, going to Vicky and and also Alfred and asking them to make this a little bit more private because it's like hurting Betsy, who's Alfred's actual wife and 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 you know these guys who are um her clients vicky's clients are now thinking oh well is my information going to be brought up during these trials so you know there it's kind of it's kind of like not implied implied that maybe that's what got her killed but Mm -hmm. i don't know it's it's weird it's a muddled it's a muddled story so despite things looking to be leaning Vicky's way, the fact that she comes forward and she says she has this contract that Alfred gave her that says that she's going to be taken care of, um, that they've had this conversation, yada, yada, yada. She actually ends up firing her lawyer, Mitchelson, the famous guy, the one that's known for being able to see these palimony payments across the finish line when he's dealing with the courts. yeah because she learns that he had dinner and a meeting with Nancy Reagan. Gets, and this is where shit gets really weird. She
0: yeah.
1: has a me, he has a dinner and a meeting with Nancy Reagan who was really good friends with Alfred's wife, Betsy. So Vicky thinks that her lawyer, Mitchelson, is like playing both sides of the fence and giving everybody her information and not really got her best interests at heart and so she can't trust him anymore so she fires him um after losing faith in him and hires robert steinberg to take his place and really nothing you know nothing there's really nothing unique or weird or strange about that she just like she just hires a new lawyer i just thought the nancy reagan tie-in was really interesting totally. because like that's the level of people that we're talking about here like that's who she's dealing yeah. with that's who she's essentially not nancy reagan specifically but that's essentially the the level of people that she's been sleeping with for for you know money so um yeah you know and it comes out like people have asked her before vicky uh people have asked vicky before like like her like, what would her and Alfred talk about, and this, that, and the other thing, and all of his friends, and she would say, like, you know, he would tell me conversations and 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 give me messages about like things that were happening in the government because of his friends, and things that were happening in yeah. major businesses because of his friends, and so she apparently had the inside scoop. So, court documents and media reports exposed that Vicki was supporting herself. By um, not only with the sex work, but by also selling off her jewelry and the cars that Alfred had gifted her. Uh, She also supposedly planned on penning a tell-all book, directly naming and exposing many high-profile and influential politicians and businessmen who had been clients of hers while she was a sex worker. Um, She apparently hatched this plan. Some folks say she hatched this plan with her rehab roommate, the guy that she ends up... um, um, becoming like roommates with, and that she met in rehab and became good friends with. Some say that it was just her own idea, like, because she thought, Hey, I've got this fun party girl, girl, persona background that would yeah. make good reading and get me some money, which was honestly possibly a combination of the two. Um, so Alfred dies of his cancer just under two months after the lawsuit was filed. So this is where I got confused because the wall or the uh Washington Post timeline is a little odd from this other one. But reading both of them, I think what ended up happening was that um Vicky was essentially struggling and broke and and mm-hmm. living this lifestyle after like this this like you know, life on the skids kind of lifestyle after Alfred broke up with her. Alfred finds out that he's dying of cancer goes to Vicki and says, Hey, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to set you up. I know this has been really hard. I'm going to make it though so that you don't have to struggle like this anymore. Especially once I pass away, I'll put it in my will or I'll, whatever the case I'll give it, I'll give you, I'll set you up. Yeah. Alfred then, you know, takes a turn for the worse and ends up in the hospital. Once he goes to the hospital, Washington Post says that's when Betsy, Alfred's wife, finds out about the affair and cuts off the payments, like monthly stipends, that Alfred has been paying Vicky this entire time. So not only is Vicky being blocked from the money that Alfred said he's gonna set her up with once he passes, but apparently he was also sending Vicky money on the reg that Betsy once Alfred was like, you know, couldn't really do anything for himself anymore. And in the hospital, she was in charge of it. So she cut that off. Right. So that's where the timelines get a little weird because some of them made it sound like Betsy found out about the affair and then they split. But this sounds like Mm -hmm. they had already split. Betsy finds out about the affair and the money and cuts everybody off once Alfred goes to the hospital. So I'm not sure which one of those is the closest to the truth, but needless to say, it doesn't work out all that well for Vicky. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So Alfred then dies. Like I said, Vicky contacts Marvin Pankost, her friend from rehab, and they move in together. Um, So Vicky returns to sex work to pay the bills. Martin does odd jobs to get by. They get along fairly well for all intents and purposes. They're not really together, but it sounds like they do sleep together every once in a while. During this time, Marvin's put under a ton of stress because he believes he's contracted contracted HIV and that he is now terminally ill. And then on top of that, um, his psychiatrist, this guy named Dr. Paul Santalupo, terminates their counseling sessions. So not only does this man think he's dying, but then, you know, remember him and Vicky met in rehab. And so now his counselor, who I'm assuming is his rock, his go-to person to discuss all this stuff is no longer available. And the article I read didn't go into any kind of detailed explanation as why the psychiatrist sessions were terminated. It just says that they were done. And so he's under a lot of stress. Um, So keep that in mind. So keep that in mind for the future. So um, on July 7th, 1983, Marvin walks into a NoHo police station. For those of you that don't live in LA, NoHo is North Hollywood. He walks into a North Hollywood police station and confesses to the police then the working there that he has murdered Vicky in their shared apartment. Uh, They were planning on moving away from each other at the time when police went to the apartment to look up what is going, like what is going on, what's this guy talking about? Um, they noticed that there were a lot of packed boxes all over the place, and so the two of them were planning on like kind of going their separate ways. Um, police uh, investigated the apartment and found Vicky's body beaten to death with a baseball bat, and her body was sprawled across the bed, and the bloody bat was apparently found nearby. They wow. uh, they asked that's the thing, right? Everybody thought it was going to be Alfred or like one of Alfred's cronies who was going to have his secrets dumped right. in this tell all book. And it turned out to be a friend from rehab. Yeah. Apparently when they asked Marvin, like, what was the deal? Like, why did you guys have such a, uh, like a fight that you actually had to bludgeon her to death? They were apparently fighting over finances and he, and he actually waited until she had fallen asleep before bludgeoning her. then he he killed her with the bat. Um, Marvin was sentenced to 26 years to life in prison and then died in 1991 while serving out his sentence due to AIDS-related illnesses. Uh, Vicky's lawsuit, even though she was dead, her lawsuit against the Bloomingdale's estate moved forward on behalf of her son, Todd, from when she got pregnant as a teenager. Um, I think Todd at the time was around 14 years old. A contract that Vicky said Alfred had apparently made for her for two hundred and forty thousand dollars, although um, although she had claimed that she only ever received forty thousand dollars of it, was ruled by the judge as unenforceable since it was drafted for the illicit act of sex for hire. Hmm. Um, however, then on December of nineteen eighty four, a jury did award the Vicky Morgan estate, a la Todd, I'm assuming, the remaining $200,000, which is about $500,000 today. Okay, so we're moving on to the Washington Post article. Is there anything you want to ask me before we talk about this?
0: No, I just think it's all really interesting. I think it's interesting that both of the the uh, people we chose were not killed by their, their uh, significant others. I assume right? these murders would be that they were each cover-ups or so-and-so had somebody kill them because they wanted mm-hmm. their secret kept. But it's just weird. They Both of these were uh, completely out of left field.
1: And I think that that's actually a really good telling of like how that wicked woman kind of uh, thought process invades your psyche even if you're not actively yeah. searching for it. Because why would we think that? Why would we automatically assume right. that these women would be murdered by uh the the people that they're having an affair with which would be like the ultimate like bad justice like you had it come in he never really loved you he was using you you know that kind of shit yeah and uh you know so shame on me for automatically assuming that this was <laughs> going to be you know alfred when it sounds like alfred actually was the one that was trying to look out for her at the very end when he realized right. he was going to pass away and then everybody else kind of fucked vicky over you know, yeah. it wasn't Alfred. Alfred was like, "Listen, it was a bad breakup, babe. I'm sorry. We had some good times together. I'm gonna take care of you because I'm dying, and you know, I I want to do good." And then, yeah. you know, not that it, you know, to Betsy's credit, she, Alfred's wife, she doesn't I, I, you know, she doesn't have to give that money to Vicky, but right, she'll, you know, I, like there's a lot, it, there's so much gray. I, the older I get the more I realize everything is in a gray area.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: So this Washington Post article, it, it's really interesting. It kind of like throws the timeline for some of these uh, stories on Vicki into a little bit of a kerfuffle, but it also adds a lot of like really great little details. So we're not going to go over the whole entire thing, but we can hit upon some key points that I think are going to flesh out the story a little bit more. So this article was actually written on July 8th, 1983, which I believe is the day after Marvin killed her. Yeah, he killed her on July 7th. So the day after it comes out that uh, Marvin killed Vicky, this Washington Post article drops in regards to Vicky's death, her lawsuit against the Bloomingdale um, family and corporation, and then all the events that were leading up to that point. So the timelines in this um, Washington Post article are a little bit different, uh, stating, and we've gone over this previously, that when Betsy Bloomingdale discovered the affair, that that was actually when Vicky's problems with money began because Betsy stopped sending the $18,000 in monthly payments that Alfred had been sending Vicky before he went, and began staying at the hospital. Yeah. Some of these make it sound like Alfred and Vicky broke up and then that's when she started struggling because he stopped supporting her. This makes it sound like Alfred was still supporting her, you know, a bit Uh, and that Betsy found out about it. Uh, That's when Betsy found out about the affair and killed off all the money that was being sent to Vicky. The Washington Post article goes on also to say uh, in detail that the BDSM acts that Vicky said she was a witness to and Vicky's angle on that in court was that she was actually trying to save Alfred from himself essentially acting as a therapist to Alfred to get him out of this BDSM kind of uh, obsession that she said he had. Yeah. So she, it sounds like in court Vicky's trying to assign herself a job to justify payments and to also kind of of uh excuse herself from any tawdriness that the jury might have yeah thought she was involved in above and beyond just being a mistress to a married man. But uh, I don't it didn't go over well. I don't think anybody really bought it. Uh Vicky yeah. told told the court that Alfred had a Marquis de Sade complex, which if you actually read the Marquis de Sade stuff, it's a lot worse than what Alfred was doing and was into. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if that's something you would really want to label somebody with. Um, And a very Jekyll and Hyde personality, which during the day he was able to be like, super cool businessman, everything's fine. And at night he'd like to do this like stuff, right? Man. That uh, Vicky would watch as other women would strip would allow Alfred to bind them with neckties and then have them crawl across the floor as he would ride on their backs, uh, spanking them and drooling, which to me just sounds like, um, what was it? Uh, 50 shades of (laughs) gray.
0: Like, yeah. Yeah. Isn't
1: it funny how, how the stuff that she's saying Alfred did is actually like a fucking movie for like based off of fan fiction from twilight that was supposed to be a young adult novel. Like what the fuck?
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. None
1: of this is that bad. It seems like, has there
0: been a movie about this about blue? I don't know if
1: there's been a movie. There's definitely been a book and I, my phone is charged enough now that as soon as we're uh, done, getting into the W or the Washington post. I keep saying WP, the Washington post details. I can give you a rundown of like the pop culture things that she was in. Um, or that has been written about in regards to her. Cause there is a good book that goes into a uh, detail about it. Yeah. So in the end, Washington post again reports that after Vicky comes out with all of this and kind of tries to excuse herself away from this, like, um, this like Fifty Shades of Grey novella that is happening in the courtroom. Uh, The Los Angeles Superior Court Judge Christian Markey dismissed the whole thing, or at least the majority of what Vicky's lawsuit was requesting, stating, and this is kind of rough, and I don't know if this shit would fly uh, anymore, uh, quote her relationship with Bloomingdale was no more than a wealthy, older, married paramour and a young, well-paid mistress, and was explicitly founded on paid sexual services. So basically, you knew what you were doing. Your yeah. your sugar daddy died, and tough shit. You know, right. essentially. Uh, apparently, the nest egg. This is where it takes a hard left into my childhood hmm. and yours, probably. Apparently, the nest egg that uh, Vicky was claiming Alfin had promised her uh, after he found out that he was going to die and was terminally ill with cancer was coming from him promising her half of his interest in his showbiz pizza franchises.
0: Showbiz pizza?
1: Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. Rock a Fire Explosion? Showbiz pizza. Yeah.
0: Totally. Who, That's wild. Who
1: knew that the money that we were paying for tokens at that time was going to be used to pay off a mistress of, of yeah. some sort of sex dungeon? <laughs> like,
0: totally. <laughs>
1: fucking fantastic.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Right? Talk about like a hard left into your childhood. Yeah. Anyway, so that was it. So I just thought That's that insane. the watch That's insane. Yeah. I just I love
0: that- the fucking showbiz pizza cameo at the end. Right. <laughs>
1: The showbiz pizza cameo is the best. So wow. I just wanted to bring that up uh, from the Washington Post because I thought that the little bit of detail that they added into it helped kind of cement the 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 kind of the rough timeline that was going on with the rest of the stuff. So your question was, you know, has a movie been made out of it or anything like that? Not necessarily a movie, but she has popped up in um, pop culture quite a bit. So it received considerable print coverage uh, while the trial was happening before she was murdered and therefore after she was murdered. Um, And then in 1985, there was a book written called Beautiful Bad Girl, the Vicki Morgan story, which you could read and we will tell you the Vicki Morgan story. In 1990, Dominic Dunn wrote a fictional portrayal of Morgan in his book, An Inconvenient Woman. Um, her life and death was a topic of Vanity Fair Confidential, which aired on March 19, 2018. So relatively recently, Morgan's story is mentioned in the 1996 film, The People vs. Larry Flint in the courtroom scene, which Larry is asked about his source of the John DeLorean video. And then there was a song, Der Mord an Vicky Morgan, from the German music group, Die Totenhausen, which is based off of her.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. So not actually that much coverage of her and her relationship and her murder, considering how... Kind of tabloid gossip fodder yeah. it was during the 80s um it's kind of like inside baseball like who would have picked that up on larry flint unless you really knew about that kind of thing you know yeah. like i don't know like i i had no idea so anyway long story short long wow. story longer that's where we're at with murdered mary murdered mistresses I assumed it was going to be Alfred. I assumed it was going to be one of her other Johns who was trying to um, kill her before she came out with her tell-all. But it turned out to be her roommate.
0: And I loved that week two of Mary Murdered Mistress Month was a Hollywood tragedy.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, when I searched through Google, a lot of them seemed to take place in Hollywood.
0: I bet. I bet.
1: Mm -mm. A lot of them. But uh, should we expand? I mean, like, I kind of tried to find, like, like uh, a sensational one, but should we expand to kind of be like, whatever, should we dateline this?
0: Well, the one I have for next week is kind of an in-betweener. It's not as, it doesn't involve a Bloomingdale or a flank, flank Lloyd Wright, but it's, yeah, it's, I think it's a good tweener. It's not a complete like unknown, you know, guy in Wisconsin kills mistress, but Mm -hmm. it's definitely not as tied to like known figures as these first two. So I think we're, I think we're in good shape. This has been Jessica Chobot and Andrew Bowser, and you've been listening to The Untold Hour. Bye.
1: Bye! Untoldians, that is it for this episode of The Untold Hour. Thank you for joining us on this weird and wild ride into the bizarre.
0: If you are interested in sharing your own story of the weird, send us your listener stories to the Pod at gmail.com.
1: Come join the Untold Hour Convo over on my Discord server and our Facebook group.
0: And you can follow us on our socials, Instagram at the Untold Hour, and at Untold Hour Pod on Twitter.
1: A podcast network.